0: Let us pray. Father, we pray that you truly would be our vision, that you truly would be our ruler of all, of the entirety of our lives, the life of this church. So even now come among us by your spirit, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. If you're not already seated, please be seated. That doesn't mean take a nap. It is so good to be able to spend time with you all, even though we're doing it virtually over YouTube. I would invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and turn to our Gospel reading this morning from the 15th chapter of St. John's Gospel. We're looking today at yet another of the I Am Sayings Found in John's gospel. Last week in our gospel reading, although I didn't preach on it, we had Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The Sunday before that, Jesus told us that he is the door or the gate. As I've said, these writings are unique, these sayings are unique to John's writings. And this statement today, I am the true vine is the last of the I am statements of Jesus found in John's gospel. There are also three of these statements in the book of Revelation. So this statement today, I am the vine, is probably one of the most familiar or best known of the I am sayings of Jesus. Much of what Jesus has to say here in John chapter 15 to his disciples is of incredibly, it's all incredibly important because it takes takes place on that night when Jesus was about to be betrayed. And he speaks to them very much about the future, whether it be the immediate future of his betrayal and the things that were about to happen, or the coming promise of the Holy Spirit to the Comforter in all of his fullness, or the persecution that they as believers would experience in the world that hated them going forward. But in contrast to these statements focused on the future, what Jesus says to them in verses 1 through 8 of John 15, spoke to them and speaks to us of a present reality, not just a future promise. Because Jesus speaks of this intimate union between the vine and the branches and that it is absolutely an essential union. And apart apart from being connected to the vine, there is no life. In other words, you cannot be And are not a genuine Christian apart from being connected to the vine, Jesus Christ himself, who is our life. It's also important that we must understand that there is nothing futuristic about the connection of the branches to the vine. It was a present reality for the disciples. And it can and it must be a present reality for every single one of us as believers. So in our time together this morning, we need to first look briefly at Jesus, who is the vine, and what this passage reveals about his relationship with the Father, with his heavenly Father, the first and second persons of the Trinity. And second, I want us to spend the greater portion of our time this morning exploring what Jesus' words here teach us, teach you and me about our relationship to him, to Jesus, and our bearing fruit as Christians. So first the vine and the father in verse one, we have a word picture of Jesus as the vine. Jesus here specifically says, I am the true vine. Jesus is making it clear and saying that he is the true vine, that there may be other people who claim to be the way to God, or there may be other systems of belief claiming to lead to true and right relationship with God, but they are false. False. He is exclusively the way to right and saving relationship with God. He is the only way to the reality of forgiveness and eternal life. As John chapter 1 verse 17 tells us, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the true vine. This is the main focus of verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 also reveal to us in John chapter 15, this perfect unity of relationship between God the Father and God the Son in their work and in their ministry and work in the lives of believers. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit the father is portrayed as the gardener and more specifically as the vine dresser. The singular focus and emphasis here is on us bearing fruit. Branches representing believers that are attached to the vine must bear fruit. This is the only reason the vineyard. This is the only reason any vineyard exists to bear fruit without producing fruit. A vineyard is useless. We read that the father cuts off every branch that is not fruitful. In contrast, every branch that does bear fruit is pruned so that it will be even more fruitful. I think it's very important to note here that the words for cut and for prune in the original language here are very distinct and quite different. The word for prune here not only means to trim, Its primary meaning meaning in terms of its utilization in scripture relates to cleansing, specifically to cleanse from sin and to cleanse from ungodliness. And this is exactly what God does in us as we grow and we bear fruit. He continues to work in us. He trims the sin from our lives. He also trims those areas and things that while they may not be explicitly sinful, those things still that some way hinder us from growing in a relationship with God. I know I use gardening illustrations related to dahlias fairly often, but I think it's appropriate here. So much of what I learned about growing dahlias early in life was from my grandfather. And my grandfather never did gardening on a small scale. He experienced incredibly good health until he died at the age of 89 And I remember back when my grandfather was 87 years old, so this was in the mid-1990s, he decided he was going to plant new tulips in his garden and he planted 1,200 of them for the following year. But he also taught me about growing dahlias and one of the things that you have to do with dahlias as I've mentioned to some of you before in our conversations is you have to pinch out the center shoot to force further branches that produce good blooms off to the sides. And then you also have to pinch certain other blooms and certain other shoots so that the strength of the vine goes into producing the very best fruit possible, the very largest bloom possible. And if you do that just right with the larger varieties, you can get blooms in the range of 12 to 14 inches in diameter and 6 inches deep. But you can't do that without intentional meticulous pruning. This is what God does in us. Verse 3 of John 15 gives us insight into how this pruning work of God takes place. It happens as we yield ourselves to God's instruction. The entirety of God's instruction. That means the teaching of Jesus and the entirety of scripture. It means responding to the conviction, leading, and guidance of the Holy Spirit, which whose guidance will always agree completely with God's written word. The idea here of being clean is more than just cleansing from sin, it means removal of anything from our lives that prevents us from bearing more fruit. It's the concept of what St. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. It's about allowing God to prune things in our lives to yield more fully to his control, to yield more fully to his leading. The reality is, especially in the world in which we live, even seemingly good things can keep us from God's best. I thought about this as I reflected on the current crisis that we are living through and we are navigating. And I am not making light of any of the hardships or sufferings or sickness or death that people are experiencing. But for so many of us, I think God may just be using this time as a stepping away, a stepping back from things. And if we're open to him, if we allow him to speak to us by his spirit Maybe he wants to realign our thinking in some way or in some measure. He wants to realign our priorities so that we know that our hope and our trust and our life is in him. So that we are prepared even more fully to bear fruit for God's kingdom. And as I reflected on this, despite the hardships, despite things that are rather inconvenient, I've thought about just how much I, just how much we have and we need to reframe our thinking regarding the blessings that God pours out on us even in the midst of difficulties. If we want to get a grip on those realities, think about what we are experiencing in comparison to say people that are living in the devastation in Syria or places like North Korea. God has blessed us immensely. So while the focus in verses 1 through 3 is first upon Jesus as the true vine and the Father as the gardener, these first three verses also set the tone and establish the focus for the remaining verses, which their focus is on us bearing fruit because it is about bearing fruit. The vine and you, the vine and I is about bearing fruit. In verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine. And he continues by saying, you are the branches. You, you and me as believers are the branches. The focus from verse 4 onward really is upon Jesus and believers. Jesus is the vine and we is the branches. Or let's make that personal. It's about the vine and you. It's about the vine and me. The relationship that we experience is all about producing fruit. Godly fruit in our lives, and then through the outgrowth of the work of God in our lives, fruit is produced in the lives of others we touch with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. So I want to focus for the remainder of our time on the vine and you. It's all about producing fruit. And there are four truths that we see here very briefly about our being connected to the vine and producing fruit that are found in verses 4 through 8 of John 15. The first one is this producing fruit. It requires remaining or abiding. Look at verse four with me. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. What kind of fruit does Jesus produce in our lives? Well, Galatians chapter five, beginning of verse 22 gives us a list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse nine, St. Paul writes, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Philippians chapter 9 verse 11 speaks of the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The image of fruit is a word picture God gives us in Scripture, a picture of what things are produced in our lives as we walk daily with God, daily with God growing in our faith. It's interesting that both the Philippians and Galatians passages I just read emphasize or begin with love. This that that is the first fruit, a true living relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which produces in us godly love. First love for God, and then for the things and for the people of God. Love for his truth, love for his work in our lives. It means loving that work even when he he prunes us, which is sometimes comfortable, which is often painful. C.S. Lewis, talking about this passage, has talked about the idea of how growth and how pain is transformative. And Lewis writes this in Mere Christianity. God's work in our lives can be painful, but his ultimate goal is to transform us into something better. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to quite make sense. What on earth is he doing? What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building up a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Bearing fruit requires abiding and remaining in Christ. And this wonderful salvation we experience and know is not a one-time experience. There is that moment, yes, of coming to true faith and salvation. But our remaining and abiding speaks of a life in God which is ongoing and real and vital. It is not based on some hollow shell of a past experience with God that is now absent in some way of any real life our vitality, and every one of us, every one of us must guard against that because this living relationship is constant. It's ongoing. It's habitual. So as we consider this, I would ask all of us to reflect and ask the question, how are you? How am I abiding? People in the Wesleyan Holiness Movement in the 19th century and especially in the early 20th century would often ask one another two questions. And maybe they seem a little outdated, but these are very real and valid questions. The first question they would often ask one another, and it was not rhetorical, it was a very serious question, was how goes it with your soul? In other words, how are you remaining connected to the vine? The other question they would often ask each other in small groups when they met was this. Is the fire still burning bright? And I would ask that of each of us this morning. Is the fire still burning bright? Second, bearing fruit is supernaturally normal. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When we are connected to God through Jesus, we will produce fruit. It's a normal thing because it is God's supernatural work within us. Not fruit produced through our efforts. Not a matter of works or trying somehow in the frailty of our human strength. But just the opposite. It's a matter of continually yielding to God's work in our lives. And the beauty is the more that we yield, the more pruning we allow him to do. The greater his work, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And we should find that absolutely freeing, liberating, because it's not about us, it's about him. His work in us, death to self, life in the Son, as St. Paul writes in Romans chapter seven, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to one another, To him who has been raised from the dead. In order that we may bear fruit for God. We belong to Christ. Our lives are his. And the life producing fruit of the vine. Jesus Christ himself. Produces fruit in and through us. It is not possible to bear any good or godly fruit. Apart from Jesus Christ. It's supernatural. And this is normal biblical Christianity. Third. Bearing fruit is not optional. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This really ties back closely to verse 2. He cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit. A branch that does not produce fruit is a lifeless branch, even though the life of the vine once flowed through it. It emphasizes to us again the necessity of constantly abiding or remaining, ongoing, continued, vital relationship with God. The Christian life is a lot like riding a bike and I've had the joy just this week of seeing Eliana ride a bike without training wheels for the first time and she mastered it yesterday going round and round and round in our driveway. But the Christian life is very much like Riding a bike, we are either moving forward or we are falling off. This is a strong, strong image here in verse six that warns us of falling away. Branches that were very clearly and closely connected to the vine now cut off. And why? Because there is no evidence of life bearing or fruit in them. And then finally, Verses seven through eight, bearing fruit, the proof is in the product. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As we continue to abide in Christ, we reflect his heart, his character, and his priorities in our lives. And this comes as his words remain in us. As this verse again says, we are to remain in him. Then whatever we ask, as we remain in him, whatever we ask is given. Whatever here, whatever we ask is not unqualified. It is certainly not self-serving. And it contains no hint of self-indulgence or self-promotion Anything here speaks of anything that enhances godly fruit in our lives, growing in the Christian life. Anything here means anything that makes you and me more like Jesus. The focus of verse 8 is clear. The focus is on Christ. The fruit we will produce in our lives if we are focused on Christ will point to Christ so that our lives, our behaviors, our actions bring glory to God and our lives show that we belong to him. As I conclude, let me pose this question. And I would ask this of myself and all of us. If I'm not fully abiding in Jesus or if I'm not abiding in Jesus, then where is it that I abide? If I'm not fully abiding in Jesus, am I somehow abiding and trusting in my job or my career or my finances or entertainment or sports or making money or acquiring things in this world like a bigger house or a more expensive sporty car? Am I abiding? in friendships, in a way that keeps me from truly bearing the fullness of fruit in Christ? Am I looking to other things, other people, to provide for me or for you what can only be found in and through the life of Jesus flowing through us? Looking to other people for those things, looking to other stuff of this world for those things will have the very opposite effect of what we want Because instead of pouring life and growth and vitality into us that abides for all of eternity, those things we will find suck the spiritual life right out of you and me. And they jade our perspective until we get to the point where we don't even have a frame of reference for truth and what is right and good and in line with the heart and mind and the will of God because we've allowed ourselves to become hardened and calloused and we shift our eyes away from Jesus, the true vine, to other things, other stuff, other people. God calls us to life in Jesus by abiding in him. And as we yield and surrender time and time, more fully day by day to him, he he will pour into us his life. He will infuse us with his life. And as he does that, And as we continue to yield and abide, he will grow us and shape us beyond anything we could ever imagine or ask or think. Let us pray. Father, you call us to be anchored in Jesus, who is the true vine, the only and true source of life. So Lord, search our hearts even now. Lord, make us aware, even if it is painful, of how you will to prune us so that we can more fully bear that life of Jesus in us. Father, break through any callousness, any hardness of heart, anything that we have allowed to come in that is not of you, and in keeping with your word and your character. And Lord, I pray that we would, Lay those things aside. That we would cast them aside even now in repentance. And that we would open ourselves ever more fully. To the life of the vine. The only true vine who is our Lord Jesus Christ. This we pray through his name. Amen.